So what we've been doing the past couple weeks, and we have this week and next week with it, is the series we're calling Instagram Theology. And basically what we've done is try to take some of the popular mantra sayings of Instagram and put them up against God's Word and, and broke them down a little bit and say, does this match up or can we trust this with God's Word? And so the first week we looked at good vibes only, kind of looked at the prosperity gospel, um, how that's like kind of our generation wants all this positivity and sometimes that there's a good point to that, but, but it's only a partial truth. There's the other side to it that it's not always good vibes only. How do we keep going with that? And then last week we looked at this idea, share your truth and, and how... Um, Everybody's out there just sharing their opinions, and, and yet we don't always share the truth, which is God's Word, and, and what we're supposed to share. So really honed in on that. And then this week is probably the one that I see the most, and that's this idea, love is love. Love is love. And so when I was thinking about this, when, when I first moved out of my house, and I really started getting into Xbox. So for a while there, I had Xbox 360. And when Xbox 360 was big, you know, there wasn't all these other games, especially like Battle Royales, as they call now, where you're the last one standing. They just had stuff like Call of Duty and all that. So I, got, I finally got an Xbox One, and I started getting into all these things. Well, when I first got into Xbox was when the height of, like, Fortnite was starting to go around. And so that was, like, at the beginning, even one of my buddies pl who played Fortnite for a very short time was playing that because it was, like, the only Battle Royale, Battle Royale out and in that game, it's a free-to-play game, but you can spend money to buy, like, pretty much skins or outfits for your character. So the first year that I moved out of my house, I start playing this game. I kid you not, if I would have went back, and it's, I'm embarrassed about it now, and looked at my bank statement. Shannon, when we first started dating, was looking at my bank statement, and she would see these $20 here, $20 here, $20 here. And it was, like, every week, because every, like, I don't know if it was every day or every week, the, the skins switched in the shop. And so she would always see these $20 charges on my card. She'd be like, what are these? And I'm like, kind of with like my head down. I'm like, well, I bought Fortnite skins. And I'm just, I felt embarrassed about it. But it was like, that's how I spent my money. Or I play another game and I'm buying all this stuff. Because I was a single person. I'm like, my definition of spending money is this. I can spend it on whatever I want. I also as I've shared in the past, to have a problem with clothes. And so when I wasn't married to Shannon, as, um, as well something that I spent money on was Seek Discomfort, which is one of my favorite brands by this group called Yes Theory on YouTube. If you want to look them up, they're amazing guys that do some great work. And so I buy their clothes all the time. And it was terrible because when I, before I got married to Shannon, I, they would have these drops and I would spend three or $400 just on their drops, like monthly, because they dropped every month. So like every month you saw like, on top of the $20 charges every week, you'd see this massive like three or $400 charge of Seek Discomfort on all these clothes that now, as I shared a couple weeks ago, got rid of like six bags of Seek Discomfort clothes that I took to Goodwill because I don't wear them anymore. But, but when I was thinking through this, that was the definition I had of how do I spend my money? If you were to talk to my dad, he used to tell me all the time that he'd get so mad that, that that's what I was spending my money on because he would hear about me spending money on video games or, or clothes, and he'd be like, his definition of spending money is save till you need to spend it, and even when you do spend it, find the cheapest thing to buy so that then you don't use too much money. And so when you matched up our two definitions of how do you spend money, we had different definitions. Mine was just spend it, and forever I was the one that always saved my money. He was 
one that necessarily didn't save, but he didn't spend either. He was just kind of a moderate spender. I always saved it. And then I flipped somehow when I moved out of my house that I just started spending all this money. And, and that was my definition. That's how I do, how I spend money. Now that's not how I do it now. But when I first moved out, that's what I said my definition of spending money is. But when you talk to my dad, he would tell you a different definition. And this is the world we're living in when it comes to love. We've got somebody over here, the world telling you, love is this no gender, no limits, no boundaries. Love is what it is. No matter who you're attracted to, what you're attracted to, that's what love is over here. That's what the world's telling us, that if that's what you feel, then it's love. Even if we disagree on the definition, that's what I say love is. Then you've got Christians and God's word over here saying, no, 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 this is what love is. And he's trying to tell us what the real definition is. And so we're battling, sitting in the middle of these two definitions of what love is. And we're trying to figure out how do we sort through this. Because I think, like I said, this is probably the one I see the most on Instagram. I see the most on Instagram because especially when you have this side, and we'll talk a little bit about this. I'm not going to dive super deep into it. You've got the LGBTQ over here that their voice seems to be some of the loudest right now. And they're saying, this is what love is. doesn't matter, male, female, whatever it is, bi, trans, this is, if you're attracted, then it's love. Even if we disagree what love is, that to me is love, is what they're saying. They're saying it has no boundary, it has no limits, it has no gender. And we can't put love in this box. And I think that's the difficult thing when we're trying to approach this idea, is we're like, but this is what God's definition of love is. And they're saying this is what the definition of love is. And so we're caught in the middle, but we're supposed to approach this idea. And I think what's interesting is when we choose to define things we're not supposed to define, we, there's consequences. There's certain things that we just can't define, and God has chosen to define this. And when we choose to take what God's supposed to define in our own hands, there's consequences. So we're going to look at this idea for the next few minutes. God is love, not love is God. God is love, not love is God. And so something to think about, and we'll look at a verse, and I'll share a definition with you. When you look at love, what is love to you? What is, have you ever thought, what, what's my definition of love? When I think of the word love, what do I think that is? Maybe it's the famous passage in 1 John 4, 8, where he says, But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Maybe when you think of love, you're like, okay, yeah, I think of that verse, that God is love. What love is, that's God, because God is what love is. Google defines love as an intense feeling of deep affection. An intense feeling of deep affection. So you've got one side saying, Scripture, God is love, so what God is, is, is love. He is love. And then the other side is saying this deep, intense affection for something or someone. And what now, since we have that definition, the world's kind of taken this angle that if we have a deep, intense affection for somebody, it's kind of become this God over our life and that once you make that God over your life, it makes you do crazy things. So it makes you, when you're so deeply into somebody or you have an intense affection for somebody, that love becomes God over you and kind of controls you and you can't really control how you make decisions. You probably see that a lot. Man, they make me feel so amazing. And, I, 
and, and we probably shouldn't have crossed that boundary, but we did because we were in the moment, and, and I'm okay with that because I couldn't control myself. I was so in love. Or I know we probably shouldn't have moved in together, but, but they just make me feel on top of the world, and so uh, the love kind of just controlled me to do that. And so we've got the, the world trying to tell us that the love is becoming their God, and so it's controlling them when they make decisions. And I think this is why we're seeing probably two of the most common relationships that God can't be in support of. There's two relationships when we've let love be our God, making us make decisions that are not what God's Word says, produces two common relationships. And that's, first one is a believer and unbeliever, you probably see. A believer and unbeliever, from our standpoint, unevenly yoked. When we talk about love... And we say, okay, you know, we can be with somebody that's not an unbeliever. Well, God's Word has something different to say. And I think there's two effects to why God can't be in support of this kind of love. Number one is that when you have a believer and an unbeliever, you're going to give attention to one or the other. So if I'm a believer, say, and Shannon's not a believer, I'm either going to give my attention to Shannon and not give attention to God, or I'm either going to give attention to God and I'm not going to give attention to Shannon. Because it's just the reality. You look at Matthew chapter 6, a verse you've probably heard before, but it says here in chapter 6, verse 24, in his Sermon on the Mount, it says, No one can serve two masters, for you hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. He's basically saying, you know, you can't have two masters. If you're going to serve God, then you've got to serve God and you don't serve money. Or if you serve money, then you're not going to serve God. So when we look at this culture saying, love is love. Be with whoever you want. Be with an unbeliever if that's who you want to be with. God's over here saying, well, well, you're either going to give attention to me and then you're not going to give the attention you should to that significant other, even though you shouldn't be with them. Or you're going to give attention to this person and not give any attention to me. You can't serve them both. You're almost in this relationship competing with one another. And you'll also begin to show that unbeliever a weakened version of faith. Because what will tend to happen is that if this person is an unbeliever and you're a believer, you're going to begin to compromise on your faith. They're going to say, okay, well, I don't really feel like going to church today. Okay, well, if you don't want to go to church, we won't go to church. I don't know if I really want to go to this Bible study. It's not really my thing. I don't know the people. Okay, well, we don't have to go. And you start to begin to compromise on your faith because you've listened to the world that says love is love, and so this is who I love. I'm in a deep, intense affection for them, and even though they don't follow in the same footsteps as me, I'm just going to keep dating them and let them control my life. And so now not only have you capped God off because you've given them all your attention, you've compromised your faith to where you've kind of shut off your faith because they don't want to do any of the things that you want to do. And God wants you to experience real, genuine, intense love. He really does. And when you are with somebody that's unevenly yoked, they won't understand that affection that you can feel with God, that you can feel with another person. So you're going to begin to drift away from God. And God can't be in support of a love that hurts His people. He can't be in support of it. That's why it's very clear in Scripture in 1 Corinthians 
chapter 6, if you want to go read that sometime, where he says, you know, if you're, he's talking to a, a widow, you know, if your husband dies and passes away, you're allowed to remarry to be with somebody else as long as they're a believer. God understands the effects of when you have a believer and an unbeliever. Then there's the other big one that we're hearing so much in our culture, and I'm not going to spend, like I said, the whole rest of the time on this because you can go into so many different avenues and that same-sex relationships. you got the world saying, well, love is love. If I'm attracted to a guy, then it's, that's okay. If you feel that deep affection, even though we disagree on what the definition of love is, it's all right. I'm, I'm in love with this person, so I can do that. Or, or I'm attracted to girls as a woman, and so uh, that's okay, even though the Bible doesn't define that. It's okay. And you got Romans chapter 1, probably one of the most famous messages or passages on this of why God isn't in support of it. It says here in Romans chapter 1, verses 24 through 27. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie, so they worshipped and served the things God created instead of the Creator Himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful, shameful things with other men, and as a result of their sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. And God's, God created, at the beginning of time, as, as Christians what we believe, Adam and Eve. This was the creation, a man and a woman. And, and when they were to come together in marriage, that was the design for love that God had. And you see in this passage that they were following lies. They were following the world. And so God gave them over to their desires and they switched in their minds what the normal way God designed love to be to start being a different love with a man to a man, a woman to a woman. And from that point on, I think a lot of times we think in our culture that this is something huge and different now because it's so loud of a voice right now. This has been going on forever. Even back in the Roman times, there's so many different uh, um, sections within Scripture where they talk about where the culture was at and how this was something that was a big deal even back then. But I think even past this, there's some interesting statistics to show us why God can't be in support, even just when it comes to the physical side. God's not out to hurt us, remember. The United States legalized same-sex marriage in 2015, and since then, someone in a same-sex relationship is 200% more at risk to commit suicide. 200% more at risk to commit suicide. And you may sit there and you go, Taylor, well, that's because there's all these people out there that, that are against same-sex marriage, and, and so they, they become depressed. Okay, here's something interesting. Sweden, probably one of the most open countries in terms of sexuality and, and stuff like that, legalized same-sex marriage in 1944. So 2015 to 1944. And they are 300% more at risk to commit suicide. It's shown statistically a same-sex relationship to take 20 years off your life 
and they did a study with 2,500 couples and not a single one attained a monogamous relationship with an average range of being 100 to 500 partners within a lifetime. So there's got to be something that's not right if there's these statistics that are supporting that, that people in a same-sex relationship aren't living as long, they can't be with just one person their whole life, that they're more at risk to have mental health issues. And, and, and we're not saying that just because we want to make these people mad. We're going back to Scripture and going, no, 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 this is what God defines as love. A man and a woman coming together in a relationship, and, and I know the world's in support of this, but that's not what God's in support of. And we're getting these different definitions of love, and that's why we need to understand when we're hearing a phrase like this, that's a huge Instagram mantra, love is love, do they know what they're talking about? Love is a good thing. Love is beautiful. We want to love each other. But we can't also support some of these areas that the world's trying to tell us is okay. God can't love things that are hurting his people. And you look at an issue like this and you go, wow, these are some interesting statistics. And obviously they're not helping the people. If it was good for the people, we wouldn't see these statistics. So how could God even just be in support based off of these statistics? The people are getting hurt. The people are getting unsatisfied. There was another statistic that was shared that a lot of the CDC diseases in terms of all these sexually transmitted disease 50 to 75 percent in the last five years were out of same-sex relationships where where these diseases were rising i mean it's just like you seeing somebody you know run to a relationship like this knowing it's going to hurt them and us just saying "Eh, it's okay you think god just is okay with the world doing that How could he support when his people are getting hurt? I think about, we were on vacation a while back. I think we were still living in West Virginia. And we are going to this cabin up in the mountains. And my brother got sick. Uh, I think he had the flu or something on the way to this cabin. And so at one point, he said he was going to throw up. So he's like, Dad, you need to pull over. And so he pulls over and he gets out on the side of the road. And there's this fence like on the side of the road, I think to make sure like nothing kind of fell down. It was just kind of like a wired fence. And he said, I think I'm going to throw up. My dad said, well, make sure you grab the fence so you like have something to hold on to. And so as soon as he goes to grab the fence, it shocks him because it's an electric fence. So he throws up and grabs the fence and is shocked. And then he pulls off and I think got finished and everything. I wasn't riding with him. I was riding like with my grandparents, so I didn't see it. But I remember he laughed, but then at the same time, he, he was making sure, are you okay? I didn't mean to do that. I didn't know it was an electric fence. I just thought it was a fence. And, and, and he was all fine, and then he fell asleep, and we got there, and, and it was fine. But, but I'm, I'm pretty sure if I went to my dad today and I asked him, did you want to do that on purpose to hurt him? He would probably tell you no. Maybe he did know it was electric, and he thought it would be funny. I don't know. But... I don't think it was an intention to hurt my brother. That doesn't make sense why somebody would intentionally, who, who at least knows Jesus, would intentionally want to hurt somebody. God doesn't want us to intentionally hurt somebody, or he doesn't want us to be intentionally hurt by diving into a relationship that wasn't the design for what he defines as love. 
It'd be like God saying, well, I designed it this way, man and a woman. This is what love truly is. But hey, if that's what you want to do, go ahead and do it. I don't care. It doesn't bother me. It's like God's just telling us, well, just grab onto this fence. It's not electric or anything. It's not going to hurt you. I mean, we're seeing the effects. This brings an interesting point that I want to close here as we look, okay, unbeliever and believer, not the way God designed it. It can lead to some issues. Same-sex relationships can lead to some issues. Here's the thing, though, that I think we need to keep in mind as we hear the world saying this is what love is, and we're saying no, that's not the way it is, is we should be the biggest encouragers, if you want to say, lovers, cares for these people that the world has ever seen. We don't support what way they're going. We can't support that because that's not God's design. But we can love and care for these people. You know how many people that I know struggle in the same-sex relationship realm will never step a foot in a church because they know the church is one of the most judgmental places that if they ever found out that that's what my sexuality is, they would never let me back in. Guys, that can't be our church. That can't be how we are. We can make it very clear that we don't support that, and you can have conversations, but they should understand that they are loved and cared for by God's people because just like you, when you came to know Jesus, we didn't ask you to get your life in order before you knew Jesus. All you had to do was just realize what Jesus did on a cross, and he forgave you, and you can enter into a relationship even if you're still in the middle of sin. And what we've seen to do with same-sex relations or believer and unbelievers, we say, well, you've got to fix your life and then you can come to meet Jesus. Who cares? They're in sin. They don't know Jesus. Why should they have to change in order to come into our building or to come and know you? We should just care for them for who they are. And I feel like the more and more that I get to know people and the more and more I get down these avenues of where the world's at... They need people who are going to care for them and love them and show them Jesus by the way that they live. And so sure, the world's defining love in a different way than we define it. God says this is the way it's supposed to be. You love me and you love a woman or you love a man if you're a woman. That's the way it's supposed to be. The world's saying, no, 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 this is how it's supposed to be. We should never be people who say, well, that's what you believe, so I leave you in the dust. No, you believe that, I don't believe that. This is the way that God's defined it, and this is the way you can have true satisfaction. But I'm still going to love you. I'm still going to care for you. I'm still going to be there for you. Just look at John chapter 8. I won't go over the whole story, but if you don't know that story, they bring the adulterous woman caught in the act in the middle while Jesus is teaching. And she's caught in the act, and they say, well, a woman was caught in the act, they're supposed to be stoned. What do you think, Jesus? These are the cliff notes. Jesus basically writes in the dust and he says, whoever has not sinned, throw the first stone. And one by one, they drop their stones and they walk out. Because each one of them has sinned. Each one of them has had difficulty in their life. And we can't look at them and say, you need to get it together. or You can't be involved in that because it's sin. We've all sinned too. And people have come alongside us and loved us and cared for us and helped us work through our sin. We can come alongside both of these relationships that God doesn't support and say, we love you, we care for you, we don't agree with it, but I want you to make sure you still see Jesus in the middle of all of it. You could be the only light that these people see. 
And we have to be that light to people. God is love. Love should not be our God. I think about, and I'll close with this story. Uh, there was a guy, I shared this in students, and maybe I shared it in here, so if I did, you get to hear it again. There was a guy that I got to know um, who was in jail a few years ago, and I worked for this organization called Starfish. What we did is we basically went into the jails, and we talked to these guys in there for some type of drug-related charge and hopefully helped them get into main one we used was Teen Challenge in Youngstown, but it may be another facility. If they wanted to go to a non-Christian facility, we could send them there, um, but we wouldn't help pay for it. So I talked to this guy. never met him before. They said, hey, can you go in the jail and see him? I said, sure. So I go in there. I sit down. I talk to this guy. And I, I, I always say this not just because I feel like it makes the story better, but, but I was very intentional to tell him when I sat down, you don't know me. You probably don't want to hear anything that I have to say because you probably know that I'm going to tell you you need to get into a rehab facility, you need help, blah, blah, blah. But I want you to know one thing if there's nothing else that you pick up from what I tell you, that I care about you and I care about the decisions you're making and I want to see you be the best you you can be. I said, I don't care if you don't listen to anything else. I just hope you see how much I care for you. I remember leaving that that little room, which is kind of freaky because I've never been in a jail and there's this kind of glass divider and you pick up the phone and you talk to the guy on the other side, he gets chained back up and his handcuffs goes back and I said, this guy's in, he's not going to go. Three days later, he gets, or a few days later, he gets out of jail. Three days after that, I get a call that he's on his way up to Chin Challenge and he gets in there, stays the whole time and I kept loving on this guy. Went up and visited him a few times and he came, once he graduated, I would still meet with him a couple times and I think ultimately what happened was not anything I did but he saw people come around him because then his parents did the same thing. There's people at Teen Challenge that did the same thing. There was other people outside of the rehab that came around and they showed him love and didn't say, you need to get yourself together before I can love you. They said, hey, we're going to be there and care for you and love you no matter where you're at in life. We don't agree with the decisions you're making, but we want to see you be the best you you can be. And they still loved and still cared and still we're beside them. And that's exactly the same thing that we need to do with the world is they're trying to figure out what, what really is love. Say, hey, this may not be the right way to do love. God's defined it differently. But we're still going to love you. We're going to show you Jesus. We're going to be there for you. But we want you to see the true way that God's defined love to be. And you can have ultimate satisfaction in that. That's the way that love should be.